Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are talking about why Concord matters for missions, specifically talking with our international Lutheran partners. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of Bethlehem Evangelical Lutheran Congregation in Mason City, Iowa, and my companion confessors in conversation about this matter today are, in our first segment, the Reverend Dr. Alexei Streltsov. He is rector of the Theological Seminary of the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church in Novosibirsk, Russia. And in our second segment, we will talk with Pastor Joel Fritchie, who is the director of Seminario Concordia El Reformador in the Dominican Republic. He also serves as a church planter and is a missionary deployed from the LCMS Office of International Missions. And as we get into this episode today, of course, we wish we had the time to talk with all of the excellent Lutheran partners whom we share our Lutheran confession with that are all over the world, but we are glad at least to talk with a representative from one of our international sister churches and then also one of our deployed LCMS missionaries about what the Lutheran confession means for their church bodies and contexts where they serve which are obviously in different contexts than the LCMS here in the United States, though we certainly have different contexts within the United States, and we looked at some of that and talking with some pastors, working with a couple different mission congregations last week in the episode, Why Concord Matters for Missions, Church Planting, and Mission Congregations. But what I really like to emphasize with this episode today is that While I think the temptation is often there to think that in mission contexts in general, but especially foreign missions, that we need to minimize or even completely set aside our Lutheran confession. I mean, I think I was even kind of taught to believe that, or at least had some sort of influence that made me think that growing up. But since then, as I've had the opportunity to get to know Lutherans from across the world and to travel and see our sister Lutheran churches, I have found that actually. Our Lutheran confession really shines through and leads the work in the mission field and is really treasured and important to our international Lutheran partners in the work that they do. So that's what I'd like you to have the opportunity to hear about today. So let's start by welcoming the Reverend Dr. Alexei Streltsov to tell us about the confessional Lutheran work going on in Russia. Dr. Streltsov, welcome to Concord Matters. Greetings to everybody. I represent Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church, mostly serving as the 
rector of the seminary and also I am one of the pastors of my church serving in the local parish in Novosibirsk. Um, what should I tell you about our church? It is relatively small as far as numbers, but it is located on a vast territory in the eastern part of Russia mostly. Lutheranism in Russia and previously Russian Empire has gone through several stages. At one time it was a major church. However, the communist revolution and the oppressive Soviet regime, and uh, by oppressive at this uh, time I especially mean that it really tried to exterminate any religious feeling by substituting loyalty to the communist ideology. And so any Christians uh, were ideological enemies of this regime. So during the Soviet years, Lutherans uh, have uh, tremendously suffered and organized Lutheran church was uh, pretty much destroyed. And that happened in late 1920s and 1930s. However, after annexation of the Baltic states, uh, Lutherans uh, somehow got back into Soviet Union following the Second World War, and they had, in a limited way, an organized church structure. So our Siberian church started out as a parish here in Novosibirsk, in Siberia, of Estonian Evangelical Lutheran Church. And uh, eventually it expanded to include several congregations and mission stations across Siberia. Uh, by 2003, we got recognized as um, uh, first as a deanery and then as an uh, autonomous church. Uh, in 2004, in our church, we, we had a synod where we elected our first bishop, Sevot Litkin. We had to wait for three long years, and uh, eventually in 2007, uh, that is 15 years ago, our first bishop, Sevot Litkin, was consecrated, and this is when we begin uh, speaking of uh, autonomy or autocephaly of our Lutheran church. Uh, also, as far as um, educational model in our church, I would say that the growth of our mission and our church really had to do much with uh, training and catechism that we provided across Siberia. It was as early as 1995 that Vsevlad Litkin, who is now our bishop, uh, addressed uh, some of the LCMS leadership with request to assist with opening a Lutheran confessional seminary in Siberia. And I was um, uh, blessed to be appointed the rector of this uh, seminary from the very beginning. I was a very young man at the time, and we had our first class in 1997. And I would say that it was um, mostly the work of um, our graduate students that led to the growth of our church body in Siberia. As that's been growing and as you've been doing the work there as the rector of the Theological Seminary, what are some challenges or things that have taken place as you've tried to grow as a church body? There are a number of challenges when you do pioneer mission work. And this is something that people who grew up in an organized church setting are not likely to experience unless they go out as missionaries elsewhere. And by this I mean that you get converts, but they are not accustomed to church life. Uh, as with many people who 
just come to church, uh, when they are new to the church, they may be quite excited in emotional way, in psychological way. So it's like a honeymoon time. But after a certain period of time, routine problems come back, and then it is difficult to have these people stay in the church. So we must be very serious on how we catechize our members so that they can stay in the church, stay with God, stay with Jesus, no matter what happens in their life, no matter how external circumstances look like. And I say that this is perhaps uh, the major challenge, that we want to become and we are becoming the church of several generations of Lutherans. And I hope in the future we will see more of that. Uh, among some of our older members, especially when we started out in 1990s, uh, we, we had people, and we still have some of them now, who have grown up in the faith. But then there was a large break in terms of generations. And so we need to carry this um, understanding of faith and this experience of faith to the next generations who have not lived through Soviet times and who do not always realize what it means to confess your faith when you encounter pressure in a very direct way. Yeah, as you talk about that, I like how you bring us to the focus of keeping it to the simple basics, the catechism and teaching that simple confession of the faith that we're always encouraged. This is how we teach small children, right? And as I listen to what you talk about there, part of what I want to do with this series is to kind of examine the idea that sometimes we have here in the United States where we are a more established church, right? And we're accustomed to multiple generations of being in church life, and that certainly has its own pitfalls. But uh, you talked about that you're not accustomed to church life when you get these converts. And the temptation for us here in America is to look at that and say, well, then we need to set aside our Lutheran confession and Lutheran confessions. Maybe we don't even talk about those at all. But you specifically said earlier that you are a confessional Lutheran church body there, especially with your seminary, and that was important for your formation. So how do the Lutheran confessions inform that work that you're doing there? Well, for us, being Lutheran by necessity implies being a confessional Lutheran church. In fact, even the sign of time, unfortunately, is that we even have to, to explain uh, what it means to be confessional Lutherans, because normally we would just say that we are Lutherans, that should be enough, because the Lutheran church was proclaimed as a church of Augsburg Confession, and uh, later the whole Book of Concord was composed. So it takes um, a special character, I would say, to emphasize that for us to be Christians means to be people who believe that they are saved by Jesus, people who confess Jesus as he is presented in the scripture, as he is uh, presented in the creeds of the church, historic creeds of the church, and as all later controversies that uh, took part in the history of the Christian church, both in the early centuries and in the 16th century, how they let us clearly confess Christ. Because it is very important to understand that not any kind of Christ would save you, 
but only that Christ that the Bible speaks about. There are false Christs, after all. There are false prophets. We hear uh, numerous times warnings about false teachers who would come and try to influence the sheep to go astray, uh, to leave the faith. So we don't want to be intense in such a way that we are that serious all of the time and that we must um, quietly sit in a corner being afraid that oh we should be correct all of the time so that we don't do any activity not to make any mistake no it's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about that it's like in physical life if you get the wrong medicine for your condition or if you have a really poor diet or if you don't exercise physically, I mean, if you don't do simple things of life, then expect some problems. All the more it happens in the spiritual life of a Christian. That is why in our training, for example, in pastoral theology, we emphasize some potential problems of the holy ministry. We get our students exposed to, for example, treatise on the priesthood of St. John Chrysostom, so that people would understand that this is a very serious matter. We should not take it lightly, because people who are involved, who are engaged in a spiritual ministry of the Word and Sacrament, have this great responsibility. They are the instruments of God to deliver salvation to the people of God, but at the same time, if they don't do it right, then there is always a danger that some great spiritual harm may be in place. This is why when we speak of our Lutheran emphasis on grace, on faith, on salvation, on justification, we always connect it to Christology, to the doctrine of Christ, to the doctrine of God, to understanding of revelation, that it is from the Holy Scripture that we get to know about all spiritual matters and not from any other places that may be contradictory to the Scripture. So I would say that for Lutherans, to be confessional Lutherans means simply for Lutherans to be Lutherans. And ultimately, it means for us to be Christians, because there is no other Christianity other than the Christianity of uh, St. Peter who replies to the question of Jesus that he is Christ, son of uh, the living God. And Jesus says to him that he is blessed. So here we simply follow the steps of the faithful apostle and do not invent anything new. We just continue confessing faith that was given to us by our ancestors, by our predecessors. What changes is a local context. Um, every time there are some new ideas. Well, they're not so new after all. They've been there before, but uh, it's like they're packaged in some new you know, new paper, and they look as though they're new. Uh, and so then we must face such uh, problems, such concerns, such assaults on our faith, and try to explain from the scripture how things are to be believed. And at the same time, it takes a certain character, certain quality of our education. Uh, I would emphasize also that while people in the church, well, most of us or all of us can mistake at any given time. And uh, sometimes I serve to some of our members 
and I've known them for years and decades, and then I hear things from them that uh, make me, I don't know how to react. And then I think, well, what matters is that the preaching from the pulpit is free from any doctrinal errors. Uh, people in the pews sometimes can be messed up. And we as preachers and pastors are also in such danger, but it is critical that we clearly preach Christ and Him crucified. And it is impossible to do that, to keep that doctrinal purity, that doctrinal standard, without proper confessional training and education. I think that is excellently stated, very important for the Church throughout the world, indeed. And such a wonderful blessing that you are doing that with such great focus and clarity there in a place that is ripe for the mission field, because, as you said, the Lutheran Church was once strong there, but then that has been affected, and people need Christ brought back to them again. And I like how you accented there that our Lutheran confessions clearly confess Christ, and that there are false Christs and false prophets and teachers. And, of course, here in the United States, we see that a good bit as we're not the only Lutherans that are in the United States. And there's other church bodies that bear that name that are bigger than us. But as we've highlighted on this show many times, there's errors in their teaching. They're not confessional to the truth of the Scripture. Do you have any of those sorts of issues in Russia as you serve as a confessional Lutheran church body there? Well, uh, on a smaller scale, and I mean numerically smaller scale, but we have some of the similar issues. We have Russian-speaking people who claim to be Lutherans, and to be sure, many of them are Lutherans by their heritage. Uh, but we don't find in what they say the same clear voice of uh, traditional Lutheran confession. And then we have to explain to our members or to anybody who would come to, to ask us questions, how can it be? And it is a bit of a challenge, uh, especially in our context and in our society, uh, talking to people, because, you know, Russia is, um, well, historically Eastern Orthodox country, and this culture element is quite strong. Uh, many people would call themselves Russian Orthodox, but they would not know the content of the Orthodox faith. They may be baptized as infants, but they do not regularly go to church. They don't know the creed. They don't, uh, perhaps they don't know even Lord's Prayer. So this is where we are. But some people may hear about liberal Lutherans elsewhere in Western Europe or in North America who engage in some social acts and do some things that look like like somewhat of a scandal to people here. And then they approach us and they think, oh, are you the same type of Lutherans? I mean, because this is who you are, right? And then we have to explain, no, there are, um, well, some Lutherans are Lutherans in name. And this is where our confessional character comes through, because then we have to, to explain that to be a Lutheran means to be a Christian who subscribes under the Book of Concord and who confesses the Bible, the Scripture, as norma normans, as we say it from the Book of Concord, as the norm that norms, and who uh, at the same time confess uh, Lutheran confessions as norma normata, as the normed norm. 
And so, so we, we have this conversation from time to time, and still it is somewhat difficult for people to understand how can it be. But then we say, well, look, in these other countries, there are people who also are very serious about their faith. They may not be out there in the open, maybe they're not as noticeable, but we have those contacts, and we have those brothers and sisters in these countries. And so then we can help our members when they travel abroad or when they relocate, finding some of the churches that they can be safe going into. But it is a challenge in today's Russia as it is in anywhere else. And it's a matter of uh, one's identity, who we are, what do we stand for, what do we really believe, what is Christianity, what is our Christian life to us? Is it just something that there is a matter of our upbringing, our parents? Is it some social tradition, such as uh, having a Christmas tree or some of the Easter bunny traditions? I don't know, <laughs> you name it. Uh, or is it something deeper than that? And so, because we have gone through a period of religious repression, we can be more upright and more frank about such things. And so it's like a nerve that is open and, in, and you, you touch it and it's a bit painful. And then you say, well, life is worth living for if you know what you can expect in the end of your life. And so our confession, our message, our preaching, our instruction then is not only Christological, but it is also eschatological. That is, we view it as our mission to basically to train people how to die in faith, how to persevere through any challenges and how to meet Jesus at their final breath and how also to hope for the resurrection of the flesh. So this is something that we try to emphasize. And with people who come from some of the other Protestant traditions, and we have some of those, they have been uh, members of some Protestant groups and then they wanted uh, perhaps to have some deeper spiritual experience. And then we really have to teach them on the sacraments. In fact, right now I'm conducting a catechism class. Tomorrow I will have another meeting and I will meet with a guy and we will speak about uh, baptism from small catechism, that chapter. And I also gave him the whole book of Concord and I asked him to read the large catechism as well. So I am looking forward to discussing what Luther has to say about baptism in his large catechism tomorrow, because I think this is really fascinating stuff, and this is something that informs us as Christians and as Lutherans big time. Absolutely. The tools are there, and as you say, the Book of Concord lays out in so many different ways what we clearly confess, Scripture clearly teaches, on the matter of baptism. And so it's great to use that resource as you're bringing someone along in the faith and understanding of it. And as you talk about that, obviously, you know, being a very large country and just the challenges of being spread out and things like that, do you have any stories, if you will, of how the lay people really treasure the Lutheran confessions and want people to come be in their area and things like that? Well, in some of our locations, and that include, uh, includes whole regions, whole towns, we don't have a regular ministry going on. So we come when we can, and some of these places, it may be once in several months. And then people are very happy 
having a priest, having a pastor come and serve to them. And when we do that, we normally combine services with some short-term seminars where we speak on the Bible and confessions. Uh, and well, some people are more educated than others, and also some people can be, in their age, maybe more difficult for them to learn. And then it is a challenge on our behalf how to present our material in such a way that we can relate to different people. But I think here are two things that I can speak from experience at this point in my life. First of all, if you love your people, then you will find a way to make it accessible to them. And uh, second of all, people are the same everywhere. And they have basic needs, basic troubles. Uh, the sins are all the same. They are pretty much described in the Ten Commandments. And so ministering to people, serving to people, is something that should bring us joy. And uh, I think it's very important for those of us who are teachers and who regularly engage in conversations with people about faith is that we are basically excited about what we do. Because if we are bored, if we don't care about it, then people would see it. They're not stupid. They will look into our eyes and they will think to themselves, well, if this guy, he doesn't know if he wants to talk about this even, why, why should I believe this stuff? So I think in our context, it really gets personal. You travel across uh, several time zones, you encounter really many different people because there would be one type of congregation in Moscow, in the capital of our country. Uh, there would be a different congregation here in Novosibirsk, which is a highly educated intellectual center with the university and scientific institutes. Uh, when we travel to the eastern Siberia, that would be a whole different, or we travel to some of the national republics, such as Hakasia, Buryatia, and some rural areas there, they would be different people. But I think in some of the most remote places, people are also the most excited. Hearing about faith, speaking about faith, learning some things, and it gives uh, us special joy when we can do it over and over. Absolutely. And we pray that the Lord would continue to bless that excellent confessional work that you are doing there in the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church, especially in training up pastors to do this work, to carry Christ throughout just a massive country and great variety across it, as you talked about there. And so may the Lord especially bless your work as rector in training up confessional and evangelistic pastors there at the Theological Seminary in Novosibirsk. And with that, we'd also like to share how our listeners can learn more about and support this confessional work in Russia and support the seminary's training of pastors. You can go to SiberianLutheranMissions.org, or you can also go to SaveTheSeminary.org. You can also write to the Siberian Lutheran Mission Society at 8811 St. Joe Road, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 46835. And we do ask that you would remember our sister church body in your prayers and prayerfully consider supporting that excellent confessional work that they are doing there in Russia. Thank you to Reverend Dr. Alexei Streltsov. It's been an honor to have you join us for Concord Matters today and telling us about why Concord Matters for the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church in Russia. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's always a great joy for me talking about our ministry and our faith here. All right. And when we come back from break, we will talk with Pastor Joel Fritchie, an LCMS missionary deployed to the Dominican Republic 
really to Latin America in general, as you'll hear about. So join us for that conversation right after this. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUR. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking about why Concord matters for missions, specifically in talking about what the Lutheran confessions mean to our international Lutheran partners. And here in this second segment today, we are talking with Pastor Joel Fritchie. He is director of Seminario Concordia El Reformador and is a church planter and missionary deployed by our LCMS Office of International Missions to the Dominican Republic, except that he's actually in Panama right now as we record this. So we'll have you explain why that is for us, Pastor Fritchie. Also, he's currently up in the mountains of Panama, and he's sitting outside while we record this, so we apologize for the background noise while he is talking. But we are honored to have you make time in your busy schedule amidst travel, be able to have you join us here today. So to get us started here, just tell us about the work that you are called to do as a missionary in the Dominican Republic and Latin America, what you're doing there in Panama and the work that you do as seminary director and church planter. Sure, happy to do that. Thanks for having me on, by the way. I've been on the field in the Dominican Republic almost eight years now. I started out uh, serving as a church planter in the capital city of Santo Domingo, actually working in an existing church plant, uh, but working alongside a a Dominican pastor uh, there to help him, uh, walk alongside him uh, as he was a a fairly new pastor to just teach and and, uh, equip. And and in turn, actually, he did a lot for me. He helped me learn Spanish, helped me get uh, connected with the culture in the DR uh, because it's it's a new, it was a totally new place, language, culture for me. And uh, I did that for two years and there was already a seminary project in the works. There was part of the strategic plan in the Dominican Republic Lutheran Mission. Uh, There was a plan to open up a seminary in Santiago, Dominican Republic. That was about, it's about two and a half hours north of Santo Domingo where I was, Uh, but it's also the hub for uh, Lutheran missions, LCMS missions throughout Latin America. And uh, I participated in a lot of organizational meetings for the new seminary, uh, working on the curriculum, things like that, and at some point uh, along the way I found myself director (laughs) of the project uh, and director of the seminary when we opened. And uh, I think they looked at my experience. Uh, I'd been a pastor for 15 years. I had served at Concordia Seminary St. Louis for a while, and and my boss, uh, Pastor Ted Cray, said, hey, you served at a seminary. You want to be president of the new one? Uh, So, (laughs) um, because the DR mission is a young mission, a young church planting mission, uh, where we are actively planting churches, 
working with our existing congregations, which are really only about 10 or 12 years old, at least the oldest ones, uh, working through those congregations as a base to plant even more congregations. And then it made sense as we brought students from all around Latin America to study that our seminary be a church planting seminary. Our students have an opportunity to walk alongside their pastors. Uh, so me, for example, I serve as a church planter. I serve as a director of the seminary and professor. I teach the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, and some exegetical courses. But those guys have an opportunity to be with us in the classroom, studying Lutheran theology. Our goal is to give them as much as we can possibly give theologically. Uh, we want to give them what our students in the United States uh, at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, and Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, uh, what they get, a full plate of theology, exegetical, systematic, historical, practical, or pastoral. And uh, alongside that, we have a very heavy practical component that has an evangelistic thrust to it. These young men come to us from church bodies, partner churches, as well as LCMS mission fields like Peru, for example, where there's no national church body, but there is an LCMS mission. They come to us to receive pastoral formation, and when they go back, the goal is for them to go back to their home countries uh, and plant churches there. Many of them will go back and they won't step into an existing congregation. Like when I graduated from the Sem in St. Louis back in 2000, I was prepared to step into an existing congregation, be a pastor, uh, word and sacrament ministry, and uh, that's great. These guys don't have a lot of churches to go back to. Uh, some of them are just uh, missions, like in Peru, uh, but then you have well-established national church bodies like uh, the Lutheran Synod of Mexico, uh, Lutheran Church of Guatemala, a couple examples there. And uh, it's, it's possible our guys will go back and step into existing congregations, but uh, more often than not, uh, they'll have the experience to return home and uh, know how to go about planting churches from zero. Uh, so that's why you know we have such a heavy practical component in the DR so that they get that experience. So they walk alongside experienced pastors who are church planters and they take that experience and that theological formation that they receive in four years with us and uh, they put it into practice. When I came here, uh, as I said, I had about 15 years of pastoral experience. Uh, I had not been a church planter. Uh, so it was it was new to me. So when I was preparing for missionary service, or maybe even before I, I received the call, I spoke to my boss, uh, or the, who would become my boss, Ted Cray, our regional director, and I said, well, what will I be doing as a missionary pastor in the Dominican Republic? And he said, well, you're a pastor, right? I said, yes. He said, what do you do now as a pastor? I said, Word and Sacrament Ministry, I preach, I teach, I visit uh, the people in my congregation, the sick, the shut-ins, uh, visit new people, uh, visit my members uh, as regularly as I can. And uh, he just kind of smiled and said, there you go. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, in, in a way, being a, a church planter is, as a pastor, is 
not a whole lot different uh, than the ministry I carried out in southern Illinois before I uh, came to the mission field in the DR, carrying out word and sacrament ministry, services, uh, divine services, um, sometimes matins and, and vespers, and uh, a lot of evangelistic visitation. And I can, I can tell you a little bit more about that, what we do and, and how we do it, and then how that kind of factors into our seminary curriculum as well. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and pick that up there then? And, you know, of course, when we think of, you know, pastoral formation and the work that goes on in a seminary, generally, especially in the United States, we're going to be exposed and have heavy teaching from the Lutheran Confessions, which is, of course, the particular focus of this show. But sometimes I think there's this thought, and that's why I'm doing these episodes, uh, both in local U.S. missions and also with foreign partners, that on the mission field, our confessions just get set aside or just, you know, kind of put aside entirely. And so what role do the confessions play in terms of that very practical missionary pastoral work that your guys are being trained for there at the seminary and then that you do yourself as well? Sure. No, we are unashamedly confessionally Lutheran uh, in who we are here on the mission field and in what we do. We don't pretend to be anything other than than what we are as Lutherans. And in in a way, um, we identify with uh, the majority uh, of Dominican people, more than 50% of whom are Roman Catholic, at least nominally. Uh, We look a lot like them uh, because we are liturgical. Uh, We wear clerical collars, uh, vestments, and so we, you know, look like Catholics, but it's, a, it's, it's much more than how we look. Uh, it's what we say. It's what we confess. Uh, we confess Christ, who took on human flesh, who became like one of us, uh, who went to the cross to suffer and die, to make satisfaction and pay for our sins, uh, the Christ who rose on the third day, and uh, who is with us in word and sacrament. And so we are unashamedly confessionally Lutheran in our church planning approach. Our desire is to, of course, share the gospel, to speak of Christ in what we say and do as missionaries. Uh, But then also, we're planting churches. Why is that? Because we believe that the ministry of the church is what our Lord would have his people receive opportunity to be in Christ, to be in word and sacrament on a regular basis. So as we go out and speak of Christ, uh, we're always, everything we do flows from the divine service, um, word and sacrament ministry, uh, where God's people receive Christ and the forgiveness of sins, and then flows back into the church as we take the gospel to the doorsteps of people in the communities around our mission. Um, We don't go door to door as we do visitations. We work with the members of our congregations to connect with people in the community. That may be family members of theirs, it may be friends, 
and acquaintances of theirs. And so as we go out and do evangelistic visitations, as we go out and, and speak of Christ uh, and share the scriptures with these people and pray with them and for them, um, we, we do so very deliberately. We kind of always know where we're going, who we're going to see in a particular afternoon, uh, say one Thursday afternoon, I go out with my students and maybe a deaconess or two and visit people. We always know where we're going. And uh, the goal is that that brings people, that, uh, as the gospel takes root in their life, as they hear that gospel, and it's always a joy for them to hear it because they don't, so many of them don't know the gospel. Uh, whether they're Roman Catholic, uh, you know, nominal Roman Catholic or, or Pentecostal, which is also very common in the DR. Uh, the gospel is always very much a surprise uh, to them. Uh, they'll recognize a crucifix and Jesus on the cross, but have really no idea what it's really about. Uh, and so we have the opportunity to speak as confessional Lutheran Christians uh, to talk about justification by grace through faith. We may not use technical terminology, uh, sometimes we do, but to speak of God's love for his people in Christ, the atonement that Christ made on the cross uh, for his people, and how that forgiveness and life is available to them in word and sacrament. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, does his thing and brings them into his church. Now, it's not like clockwork uh, like that. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of visiting, uh, a lot of praying, and sometimes uh, people respond, sometimes they don't. Uh, but that's uh, the, the work of a church planner. Uh, we go to where they are, we take the gospel, and we pray that the Lord would draw them in to himself in regular participation in his church. And of course, then for our students, uh, they, they walk alongside us uh, doing that, they participate in that, and they learn then too how to go take that gospel to the very doorsteps of people in the communities where they will serve uh, with the same confession, the same theological backbone, you know, that uh, we believe these things, and so we confess them, and uh, we pray for these people that we share the gospel with, uh, that then they too will hear and believe and regularly desire the gifts of eternal life that Christ gives. Yeah, as you talk there, I'm reminded of a book that I came across actually at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, where you formerly worked, and I was a student there at that time. Uh, they had a book sale all the time, and I came across this book written by John Fritz, and it was called The Practical Missionary, and this is the same Fritz that also wrote a pastoral theology text that we commonly would use in seminary in those days. And uh, he just describes in a very confessional way the work of a pastor as a missionary and, you know, even kind of reflecting on what you said there of what your boss, uh, Ted Cray, told you, well, what did you do as a pastor? Well, that's what you do as a missionary, right? You know, and, and so we see that these things kind of link up in a really nice way there and is a really great way to form a pastor for the, the mission task that includes strengthening the saints, as you highlighted there, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit does in the third article of the creed, right? He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. You know, that's, that's what the church is, and that's what we seek to bring people into by, of course, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. 
And so, you know, kind of as we draw those things together, you also highlighted in there that, you know, as you do this mission work, as you, you know, do the work of a pastor in this, you know, probably we tend to assume that most of Latin America is Roman Catholic, or at least, as you said, you know, kind of nominal and so forth. How does the confessions strike them and the people and how do they receive that? What are what are some of the challenges that you have to overcome in kind of dealing with that context? And, and maybe even we should just start with, is that even a right assumption or not? Yeah, I mean, even nominal Roman Catholics in the DR, they don't receive a lot of theology. They don't necessarily know what their church teaches and confesses. And so as we bring the gospel to them, like I said, it's, it's always a, a surprise, uh, and it's always good news for them. They, there's a lot of, um, what do you want to call it? Uh, in, it? It's like when Paul uh, was in Athens and, and said, I see uh, you have an altar to an unknown God. There's, there's a lot of spirituality in the DR, a lot of religious talk and sayings and Bible verses on cars and things like that. And I think in some ways, a lot of that is, is more like, well, religion's a good luck charm or something like that. And so for us to have the opportunity then to bring the Lutheran confessions to them, to speak of Christ and who he is and what he's done for them, it's life-changing uh, for them. It, it changes their lives. It connects them to a family of people who, who share in a common confession, who are there for one another in their congregation, and even wider, it, for our seminary students, the Lutheran confession makes them understand that they're, they're part of something even uh, bigger than their, their little church that may be very isolated uh, where they'll serve, and uh, they have that common confession. One of our goals of having a residential seminary that serves all of Latin America is to create or, or foster, maybe is the better word, foster that common confession of our Lutheran faith uh, among them uh, so that they are encouraged uh, and strengthened knowing that uh, they're not alone. They're not the only ones there. They have our Lord and they have brothers and sisters in Christ who confess as they do, uh, that believe the, the Lord Jesus of the scriptures uh, as expounded upon in the confessions. Uh, and that's a, a huge thing uh, for them. Yeah, I'm also wondering here too about, you know, as you mentioned, kind of just serving Latin America in general. I wonder, there are probably a lot of challenges that come up, you know, kind of as you're bringing people from all these different countries and, you know, sometimes in America, we think that we're, you know, this giant melting pot where everybody just gets along, but we, we readily see it on the news all the time that that doesn't happen in the United States, which has historically been mixed. And so, you know, what are, what are some other challenges that maybe that presents and how do you overcome those, those sorts of other challenges that are present as you guys carry out this work? So I was, when I started uh, eight years ago, moved to the DR and, and started uh, ministry there, I was fairly ignorant of Latino culture. And for me, it, I just kind of saw it all as one thing. Um, boy, you know, I was wrong. Um, 
it, there are so many different cultures throughout Latin America. Yes, uh, they have a common language, Spanish, uh, but then, you know, I have a student from here in Panama, uh, where I'm at right now, and his first language was Kuna. Uh, you know, he's part of a indigenous group of people here in Panama, uh, and Spanish is his second language. Uh, I mean, that's just one example. I have students from Bolivia who uh, are not necessarily from the same culture as uh, my students from Guatemala. You know, so there's a lot of differences there. And for me, I had to learn uh, those things. And it can be a challenge to bring all of those young men together. But uh, for me, it's been a, a tremendous blessing getting to know all of those different cultures, hearing Spanish uh, from guys who are from Peru, Bolivia, Mexico, Guatemala, Cuba even, and uh, really start to get a handle on language and culture. But uh, it, it is different. So some of the challenges are as, as we go around and uh, do our visitations and talk with people, all Latinos are not the same. Uh, thankfully, our Dominican people are wonderful, warm, open people who receive all of us. Uh, me as a, 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 an American from the United States, uh, my students from uh, whichever countries they're from, uh, it can be challenging, uh, but in the same way it's uh, uh, wonderful to see that. Um, theologically, there are certainly challenges because, uh, as I was saying earlier, you have a lot of people that have this more superstitious faith, and we have to speak where the scriptures speak and, and confess what they confess, and uh, it's not always easy to do that. It's not always easy to tell people, well, you know, that's not really biblical. Uh, the scriptures say this. The scriptures teach this. Our Lutheran confessions then echo that and what they say, and uh, it's not something that just happens overnight. Uh, it takes a lot of patience and prayer and teaching and visiting, and that's really what it's all about. So good things are happening in the, in the Dominican Republic, and we face those challenges scripturally and confessionally, but uh, it takes time and patience. And so we continue to do that. We continue to go about uh, the work that the Lord has, has called us to do here. And uh, we pray uh, that he would bless that, that uh, it would bear fruit. Yeah, and I think that's a great lesson for us because, you know, again, just the idea of what I wanted to do with these episodes is that, you know, kind of push against that idea that our Lutheran confessions really matter to only those who have Germanic descent and specifically in the LCMS and things like that. And, you know, I hear you talking about dealing confessionally and missionally with, you know, obviously non-Germanic folks. And it's a lot of the same challenges that I face, you know, with the descendants of Germans. Uh, and I'm sure you faced in our congregations here in the United States as well, that, um, yeah, at times, you know, we have to speak the truth and we have to confess the true faith and say, well, that's actually superstition. That's, that's not true. That's not biblical, right? That's not the confessional faith. And uh, we can take for granted, I think, that, you know, people know the confession of the church that we just call the Lutheran confession. And so, you know, kind of have that missionary attitude that you guys have to 
you know, it, it makes it more aware for you guys, but I think really brings it to the forefront, even for us here at home, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me switch gears for a second, and sure. I'll tell you why I'm here in Panama. As seminary director, I do quite a bit of traveling. I try to get around to our partner churches, uh, visiting official meetings where all of their pastors are together, or some of their members, church members are together for national assemblies and things like that. Uh, our seminary also has a deaconess program, and uh, we just are wrapping up a three-year cycle of courses for new deaconesses, and we had 140 women in our program. Uh, women are a lot more active in churches around Latin America than men, and so that explains why we have so many women in our, uh, in our program, but these are wonderful women who desire to serve, many of whom were already serving in their congregations in a variety of ways, teaching Sunday school, working with women, things like that. And uh, now we have opportunity to work with these ladies. We do two intensive courses per year in their home country, and then one course online. COVID kind of messed that up a little bit, but we're getting back on track now, going back to the countries where we offer the program. There's five countries, Mexico, Guatemala, Venezuela, Panama, and the Dominican. And so we teach these courses. And uh, of those 140 women, 100 of them uh, were graduating this summer. And now I'm here in Panama then for our last course uh, that we have. It's called Cuidado Diaconal, uh, Diaconal Care. And Danelle Putnam, Deaconess Danelle Putnam, one of my colleagues, and my wife Clarion, who's also a deaconess, are teaching the course. And then uh, the course will be this afternoon and all day tomorrow. And then uh, on Sunday, we'll have the graduation of seven women here. So in Mexico, we had about, uh, I want to say about 30. In Venezuela, we had almost 40. In Guatemala, I think there were 30-some. So all in all, adds up to about 100 uh, ladies graduated from the deaconess program. And uh, all will continue to serve in their churches, doing uh, a lot of uh, teaching, Sunday school, mercy work, uh, some of them in institutions of, of their churches. And so uh, we're here in Panama in beautiful Syrah up uh, in the mountains to kind of wrap things up uh, here with our, our first cycle of students uh, that have gone through the program. And uh, it's really exciting to be here and share in the joy uh, of the church as they receive seven new deaconesses. Absolutely, and may the Lord bless that work, certainly. And uh, as we wrap up here with just a couple minutes to go, let us know some ways that we can pray for you and pray for that work, but also how we can support that confessional work if any of our listeners so choose. Absolutely. We, uh, as missionaries, we uh, are very active in uh, raising funds for our work, and so uh, we visit congregations. If your congregation would like a visit from uh, my wife uh, and me, or another missionary uh, here in Latin America, talk to your pastor, and your pastor can uh, maybe communicate with uh, um, the Office of International Mission and get connected with a missionary. That's a great way to, to begin to, to be connected with the work that we're doing, and then uh, to know specifically uh, what you can pray for. Um, at our website, www.lcms.org slash fritchie, 
F-R-I-T-S-C-H-E. You'll find our missionary profile there. Uh, it'll talk about uh, my wife, Clarion, and I, and uh, ways you can pray for us and ways that you can support our work financially. Also, we really need support for financial support for the seminary so we can continue to carry out uh, this ministry, bringing men to the Dominican Republic, going to our different countries, teaching deaconesses and others there. Um, but please, more than anything, keep us in prayer. Uh, keep our students in prayer. Keep in prayer those whom we serve in the Dominican and our five missions there. Uh, each of those five missions has uh, another mission uh, that we're working toward starting. And so if you would pray for that, uh, that the Lord would bless uh, our preaching of the gospel and our teaching and that it would bear fruit, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you. It's been an honor having you join us for Concord Matters today. God's blessings to you, Pastor Joel Fritchie. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you as well. And thank you also again to the Reverend Dr. Alexei Streltsov from the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church for also joining us earlier as we are honored to have him and Pastor Joel Fritchie from the Seminario Concordia El Reformador in Dominican Republic in Latin America. Thank you to both of them for taking the time and their very busy schedules as seminary directors who also serve as missionaries and pastors to speak with us today about why Concord matters for our confessional international Lutheran partners. Thank you also to our underwriter, Wicking Vicar. Check out their performance clerical wear at wickingvicar.com. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.